Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. I had the absolute pleasure today of being joined by one of my dear friends, Ed. With Ed, we speak all about his experience of sexuality, being a gay man, and the link that this did and didn't have to his experience of anorexia. We talk about the gay community and how within the community there are pressures to conform to certain body types. And we talk about dating, but we also talk about the community and the support that's within it. We also talk about treatment and how we need to look at somebody's identity on the whole, but also do need to take into consideration that somebody's sexuality can impact the way that they see themselves. I've really, really enjoyed doing this episode with Ed for Pride, and I hope that you enjoy listening. Hello. Hello. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you? How are you doing? Yes, I am very good, thank you. It's so nice to see you after such a long time and have you I on know. the podcast. Yes, and thank you for having me. I'm very honoured, I'm not going to lie. I was thinking earlier how like we've briefly mentioned in passing like eating disorders and stuff like mm. that, but never really had the opportunity to talk about your experience. So I'm really, yeah, really flattered that you're, you want to come on and, and share it with me today. Oh, no, thank you, no, thank you so much for having me, obviously. I mean, I kind of, obviously, we had kind of talks about it before, but obviously seeing your channel and your podcast and seeing kind of the work you do, it's it's a really nice platform and outreach for so many people. So I'd be more than happy to kind of give my insight and my kind of life and how, if I can help anyone, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's lovely. Thank you, Ed. Um, so I guess today, the reason why I asked you to come on was because it's Pride Month. Um, and I think when this episode comes out, we'll be kind of coming towards the end of Pride. Um, so um, as a gay man who's had anorexia, I wanted to talk to you about your experience. So could you start by telling us a bit about what your experience was of having an eating disorder? Sure. I mean, so I think my kind of onset of AN was around kind of GCC age, so like 13 kind of early doors. And it went all the way up until kind of end of my undergraduate degree, so 21. And again, it was one of those cases where it started very slow at first and then got more progressive. And I guess as I got older and had more kind of kind of autonomy, I guess, especially at university, it was a lot easier for me to kind of be more controlling and that kind of aspect as well. So I think at the same time as well, I had a lot of anxiety at the same time as well. I think they kind of fed into each other. It's kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of situation. Um, but yeah, so I think mostly when it came to my sort, it was very much kind of restriction was quite a large thing and very excessive exercise was another aspect of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I was at school, it was obviously I was really tired all the time, sleeping in classes, all that kind of aspect. and. I mean, it got picked up on at points, but I think obviously things have changed so much in like now a decade, really, in terms of that kind of awareness of not only just kind of a gay person, but also male eating disorders. It's changed so much. And I think they just didn't really know what was the protocol then. I think if it was kind of in a a female kind of setting or a female school, they might have more of an intuition or have more past experience of it. But mm. 
no one really knew really what to do and it was very much that oh as sleeping in lessons or he's not eating during the day but it was never oh let's refer him to something or we have someone specialist who can help with that situation it was very much kind of left to your own devices um so I think that was quite a large part of that um kind of aspect and kind of the upbringing of it and then kind of having that oh I'm kind of under the radar so maybe it's not maybe it's not as big of a problem or maybe I'm not kind of fulfilling the stereotype to that kind of extent I think that kind of allowed it to continue on for so much longer because there was none of that kind of intervention to that extent especially for kind of a male person in that in that kind of realm of eating disorders Mm. at the time or I guess when it was happening did you recognize like oh I have an eating disorder or did you just think it was something that was normal I mean I think I think it's tricky I think I think there was a point where I kind of became a bit more aware so my my sister had bulimia when I was when I was kind of growing up she's my older sister so then I kind of had an awareness around the issue and obviously I had loads of friends like girlfriends obviously and like they obviously would have I'd be aware of that kind of situation, obviously like diet culture being a thing and having a kind of big interest in psychology. I think I grew in awareness, but at the time I saw it as a way of more managing. I didn't really think of it as being an extreme thing. I think, oh, maybe I'm a bit uncomfortable with certain things, but fitting in with the kind of the culture at the time and kind of that media culture, like, oh, this is kind of what's normal, what's kind of the, the standard and then that's how you kind of get that shape or body that you kind of want mm-hmm. to achieve was oh you just have to engage in a bit more risky behaviors and then you'll be kind of make it that way but it never really dawned on me until I think I was till like 23 and then I looked back and I was like oh god like yeah the kind of behaviors I was doing the compensatory behaviors it was just so it now seems so foreign to me and I think it's such a strange aspect to me when I was kind of growing up that I just didn't see that as being atypical at all so I think that was I think kind of a shock to me when I kind of grew up a bit that I kind of saw that I actually know at the time I had no clue about the kind of severity and kind of the dangers involved until obviously I was at university learning about it but then I was still engaging it even more so at university so that's what was kind of was when I knew it if anything it didn't help kind of being aware of it. And and do you think that part of the reason like it continued on for so long was almost because nobody was recognizing it? It was almost like this is okay because Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was that obviously because I am a gay man, it kind of gave off that, oh, you're just femme and you're just engaging in kind of mm. um female culture and you just kind of want in like, oh, you just want to be a girl, and that's kind of that was kind of the the pass off. So I think a lot of people just didn't really recognize it or they just thought oh you've just kind of got the genetics to be like tall and really skinny and that was just kind of your genes and oh you just don't have a big appetite and things like that whereas I think if it was in a, a different context it would be much more picked up on but I think because it was just how I also how I carried it and kind of negated a lot of things and kind of snuck around a lot of the issues I think some people were aware but no one really knew how to intervene or how best to intervene in that situation it's so interesting isn't it because when you were saying that then like oh it's it's just because this it's just because that it's almost like when when something happens that we're not completely sure of like how to navigate the situation or what we should do we almost make excuses mm. 
that then support our own actions so like you know me saying to you oh it's just because you're a gay man that then means okay I don't need to do anything about it anymore because Ed's eating behaviors are just because he's a gay man and that's what gay men do but like that if if you say that to yourself you're like okay cool we can go we can go ahead now but then when you pause for a second and think yeah okay he's a gay man why does that mean that you know starving himself and excessively exercising is then okay compared mm-hmm. to let's say you had a young female girl like you know you're saying that the eating disorders maybe were more recognized there the same behaviors in two different people would have been addressed completely differently yeah for sure yeah I think it is really I think obviously now it is different I think there is a lot better recognition mm. of that now um but yeah it, I think that was kind of what made it a bit harder that it was at points I was kind of put into a category and it was like you have a checklist and like this is why you're acting this way it was because of x y and z about your about things which I had no control over anyway so then I guess it kind of also helped feed into that aspect of like oh trying to control myself and obviously being insecure about sexuality growing up it makes it harder to then like oh I can this is like the one thing I can control and like how people perceive me in that aspect so I can control this image which they get but it was obviously like in a destructive way and it was very much almost like a self-hatred kind of aspect to it rather than actually and I th- I just wasn't really as comfortable with myself and I think if I had that education about yeah no one is comfortable with themselves when you grow up because your body is changing continuously mm-hmm. and it keeps changing and I think that was something which just wasn't it was covered a lot for like different audiences but for my kind of where I was at school and kind of the audience I was at school it just wasn't a prerogative it wasn't a priority it was like you just need to fit this kind of macho man or this kind of different aspects or kind of different qualities to kind of fit this how you fit in aspect and how you grow up and these kind of things and I think it was just a very different yeah just a very different realm to kind of navigate you said about like being you know fit the the macho man mm. and anorexia you know takes you away from the macho man because it then makes you thinner and things like that do you think it was almost a way of you saying like I'm not I don't want to I'm not like a quote-unquote man like Mm. I have characteristics that are different and do you think you were trying to show that physically because you couldn't say it out loud I think it I think it's difficult I think I was trying to conform to a different audience I wasn't trying to fit that macho man I think part of it was that rebellion against like Mm. what is natural man but then I think obviously I was very interested in kind of the female type and the female body and that was somewhere I felt kind of comfortable and more secure kind of navigating that kind of realm of kind of how women act and how they look and fashion and modeling and that kind of aspect it kind of helped me make me kind of feel more comfortable in one area than another area where if I went to the gym I would stay far away from like anything weights because like the men would just be like so different from my body type but I think I think also part of that it comes from I think a problem within the gay community which I think is getting better now which is that there's this very much kind of fat phobic problem within the gay community and it's very much you are either muscular with no fat and you look hench and you look not like you look at that kind of way or you are really skinny and then that more kind of twinky kind of vibe I guess you'd call it I think that was kind of that polarized view where it was like you were either A or B. Being B for me was obviously kind of getting, trying to get muscular would be like a lot of work and a lot of eating and a lot of kind of muscular whereas, whereas if anything in my head it was oh it's easier just to be skinny and just keep losing weight 
because that will be an easier image to kind of fit within the community and trying to be kind of accepting community where I didn't feel comfortable with myself yet to really engage with. Mm. And why do you think that those like two distinct body types exist? I think it's partly obviously like, I mean, it's really tricky. I think there is a very high sexualization of people in the community and I think a lot of it focused is about how you look mm. and for some reason there is just this kind of hatred towards I wouldn't say it's just kind of that phobia but there's also kind of a lot of racism as well in the community and it's trying to fit this idealized kind of prescribed way of how people should look again which is fitting that kind of hyper masculine or hyper feminine view where it's just like different polarized views of how you should look i.e attaining the best image from either spectrum whether it's kind of more of a, a previous idealized view of what a woman should look like or what a man should look like and that's why you get these really strong kind of differences in the community and that's kind of where satisfaction comes a lot from people i guess in the community i find it i find it really interesting because as like a community that's been marginalized by society i would expect that within the community everybody would be so like uplifting and supportive of each other um and obviously i don't just want to like blanket statement put a big paintbrush of like you know everyone's horrible to everybody i'm sure that's not the case um but yeah i think it's really interesting that there is all of that like internalized stigma and Mm. kind of the pressure to look a certain way um in a community that is has already got a lot of kind of stigma and stereotypes from people outside of the community. Yeah, no, I, I really understand that. I think I mean there are since instances where, like for instance, in during a Pride in Pride Month, it's a lot more accepting in general. But mm. it's when you get down to the kind of more like grinder dating, mm. it just becomes a bit more polarized and that you don't fit kind of a high view of aesthetics, therefore you don't fit this one you don't fit that one so it marginalizes people within the community which makes no sense because again as you said we've like had a whole history of being marginalized and not being able to fit in but there actually is um i might get the wrong name of this uh book it's called the velvet rage i think it's called the velvet rage um and it's a really interesting book which kind of argues that a lot of these kind of insecurities of men and this kind of strive to really be like the best version or kind of get my best job or get the best education or look the best comes from this kind of inbuilt insecurity that you're not straight and that you're not fulfilling the kind of natural inverted commas natural kind of way of life and I think that's kind of part of it that there is like still a lot of insecurities and a lot of mental health problems within the gay community and that stems a lot from kind of this upbringing that you just don't fit in and that you are marginalized mm-hmm. so it almost comes a bit of kind of a I think I had to explain like a mob mentality where it's like well we just have the the hot gays and that's where this pet group fits or this group mm-hmm. fits and so they kind of do that to help them feel themselves a bit more secure because they feel like we're in a gang and we've got their own little pocket mm-hmm. whereas I think it's a lot different than when it's kind of in the kind of the straight community where like everyone's kind of just everyone can be anyone and to some extent obviously but I think they do put more pressure on themselves to fit this kind of narrative yeah and I suppose that it doesn't make sense in the in terms of the fact that it makes sense so it's okay but it, it does make sense that 
when you haven't been able to fit maybe the stereotype that was expected of you you do have that insecurity so and then you like push that onto other people to make you feel better I think as that's kind of human nature unfortunately is a lot of the time we do you know make people feel worse to make ourselves feel better which is not the nicest approach but um it is sometimes the case but I was quite interested I want to go back to like um your teen years in a sec but I just wanted to ask you a bit more about Grinder, um because I think from the conversations that we've had that you are would class yourself as recovered now is that mm, yeah yeah sure. so have how have you found like being on things such as Grinder impact your body image and your self-esteem I think I mean are you talking about nowadays or kind of in the past or yeah I think nowadays like sure. now that you kind of see yourself as better I mean yeah I think I mean obviously I think I'm a kind of I'm, I'm like self-aware and that like obviously like in kind of the grand scheme I'm like I'm an attractive male this is kind of fine I'm like happy to navigate it obviously there is I've now obviously like nowhere near as kind of attached to that app as I ever used to be and I think mm -hmm. it's much more of kind of a casual whatever pastime rather than what it used to be whereas now obviously it's it's less focused on kind of what you're sending I mean before it was very much like here are these images this is my body looking like this mm. all very posed like body looking like a certain way and now it's like changed a, a lot more where it's much more like a casual thing and it, I mean it can be a really good place for some people some people can meet really nice friends and you can meet all kinds of people on there but then there is still that kind of seedier element where I mean you do just get like unsolicited unsolicited images of like anything so anything and everything <laughs> yeah okay it's, it's all just dicks it's just dicks and then we all knew where it, you were going <laughs> exactly I mean like I'm like let's, let's just cut the crap um but yeah and then like obviously it's so like image focused and like I mean most profiles you'll see are either blank or a headless torso so it's again that wow. kind of again it's that kind of I this is it's like putting your image of like yourself as your identity Mm -hmm. And I think that was the issue that you're really just like you're making. I mean, people were like would keep anonymity, but like their body is their identity and their ID mm -hmm. card kind of way of living life. And I think that's why. I mean, nowadays I'm just not really that interested. And I think moving into like go to Hinge or Tinder, just like move on to a nicer place. Just like at least have a face. Just like have a conversation for at least a little bit. I think it is just it's very much that kind of instant gratification. I think that's the point of it, that it is meant to be that you you find someone, you chat, you send a location, you share images and you go. And so it does put people in a much more kind of weird and mind frame of how sex life is. So obviously, mm. like, I, I mean, the, like the straights can't have that. They just, it would just be carnage if actually like, we had that kind of app. So I think that's <laughs> like, like, honestly, like the world would fall apart. So I think... <laughs> So I think it work. It works very well because, like, obviously, we are commuting. We like to meet, and that's how these things work. But I think it's obviously not the best thing for. Yeah, I think it just, it's not the best for kind of mental stability and kind of mm. self assurance. Yeah, yeah. It feels as though it's. I mean, but I can't talk because I've never been on a dating app in my life. If I broke up with my partner tomorrow, I would be absolutely screwed because I'd be like, how do I deal with this modern technology? Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, all dating apps, I think, are very image-based. Um, and I do wonder, you know, for people that are on them, 
the impact that that's having on their mental health and their self-esteem because mm. you know somebody is literally judging you and it's difficult because I've had this conversation with my parents before my parents met on the street um which is lovely Love that. as as my dad was getting kicked out of a bar so it's a great story even better um, but they just saw each other and they were attracted to each other and then they started chatting so it's not really you know initial attraction does tend to come from from seeing from seeing somebody mm. i suppose it's just more when you're online it's curated images that you've picked out yourself rather than like your actual physical presence in person yeah no i think that, i think that was always a case especially when i was dating where i think sometimes i'd like you know like oh i feel i'm like i'm gonna like see this person as in it's like it almost or like i'd see Obviously, I'd see someone on Tinder or something and be like, and I bump into them in real life. And I'm like, oh, you're actually a lot hotter because like you're actually a real person and you actually mm -hmm. have like qualities. Yeah. So I think it like it kind of blurs that. And I think obviously, I think I read like a, a paper about how it's like very evolution psychology Tinder where it's like 0, 0.00 seconds. You're like looking at an image and then you just swipe. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's like that's like a, a standard aspect of decision making, but it's not a way of like, actually making a meaningful relationship kind of happen mm. from the yeah yeah I mean I have met I have a number of friends that have met on tinder or bumble I think tends to be the yeah. the one that people you know have those don't know why it's different but um <laughs> I'm like a grandma with these sorts of things just I'm like, just there what do you call it <laughs> yeah I remember at uni one of my friends had tinder and I used to be like oh can I play tinder and she just <laughs> let me swipe through for her but we had completely different tastes so it was quite funny because she'd go on dates with people and then be like yeah I didn't find them physically attractive but actually I really like them so um yeah anyway completely off topic but I think it's really interesting to kind of think about like the the ways that it does affect self-esteem in that yeah. sort of environment um so just going back to kind of you know you said that you um thought that the thing started to kind of occur when you were 13 did that t tie in with when you were sort of thinking about your sexuality or did you already know I'm gay and then the eating disorder came along how did that sort of was there even a link between them I think yeah I think there was like an overlap between it but I wouldn't say that I think in my mind they were very much separate entities mm. and I think I was, I was trying to start exploring my sexuality but obviously it was in a very closeted kind of mm. way where I wanted to kind of be I just wanted to be straight basically and then try and move and then I think part of it then like you move into being bi and then and you turn into being gay but I'm not saying that there's no bi people but I'm saying that like that's how the way I took it and kind of mm -hmm made made it make more sense myself and I think I think I use the eating disorder much more as in that regard to a way to kind of control that and kind of control that sex drive and urges but then obviously know that I'm kind of being put on a pedestal a lot in terms of mm. where I'd fit in the gay community so I wanted to fit that image but obviously wanted to then obviously be kind of like hide away and that would kind of from the eating disorder was kind of a way to keep myself away from that or distracted from those kind of aspects and stresses in life. Hmm. That's really interesting what you just said about like you were being, I can't remember the word that you used, but basically like glorified because you were fitting the kind of stereotype of what the body type of a gay man should be. Yeah. Did do you find that that kind of encouraged the eating disorder behaviours? Like, did that make you want to stay in eating sort of a longer so that you could keep that up? I think that was part of it for sure because I think at one point it was very much 
I think I was very much like at first just dipping my toes into diet culture and looking after my body and looking after my body. But that kind of that kind of aspect of health and wellness. Health and wellness. And like, <laughs> oh yeah, let me have like spirulina powder and everything. <laughs> and then it kind of moved into I think it got to a point where I was like, oh, this is just kind of who I am now. And it kind of became mm. like almost this kind of uh, yeah, like part of me was just being skinny and that was the thing I had to maintain and be that aspect. Then for like Ada, just I didn't really think that I was ever going to be like qualified or kind of fit the criteria of having eating disorder. So then I was like, oh, well, it was almost like trying to gain and trying to reach that as was part of it, which was the kind of weirdest aspect of like, it was like so goal driven. And I think I've always been quite goal driven. So it was like, I can move this into a different goal and things will kind of fit into place in terms of the sexuality, in terms of um, how people see me and things like that. I think it all was trying to like reach this kind of unattainable goal, which I'm never going to be able to reach. So I think that was kind of part of a lot of that, of just trying to navigate a lot of different realms and spheres, but then doing it in kind of the worst way possible. Mm. Yeah, I can really resonate with that, like, I, it just makes me so sad like the the words that you used in terms of like I didn't think I'd be qualified or like you know I didn't think whatever I'd be enough kind of thing to get that eating disorder diagnosis and yeah it just makes me really angry I don't know whether you've kind of seen um recently but they've brought out like a, a I don't know whether they've actually doing this or whether it's like a we should potentially do this a plus um for anorexia which yeah. is for people that are like you know really really ill um potentially and there's like terminal anorexia and all of these terms that they're throwing around and I just think for an illness that is so you know like you've demonstrated there like you, you whatever the reason behind it is of wanting to get to that certain point where you get that diagnosis you would think that the kind of people behind the diagnostic criteria and stuff would be able to recognize that and not almost make it worse for people but by yeah. having all of those titles and diagnoses it just it literally is like well um, to me I just literally saw I always joke I'm like oh yeah I'm the classic anorexia kind of cl classic person with anorexia a star student and then I saw the yeah. a plus and I was like holy shit they've listened to me but they like they got the wrong end of the stick like right no it wasn't mean like that it wasn't mean like that no don't do it don't, don't do it don't do it from an person's point of view please do it from like a clinical yeah I think that's the thing there's like so many it's almost like I don't know also I think like there was like obviously like social media and like the way that television would kind of portray the different types of eating disorders it was always kind of viewed that like uh anorexia is kind of more glamorized mm -hmm version and I think that was always like such like a negative thing to have because obviously we grew up in kind of the the special k eat three bowls of cereal a day and you'll fit into mm -hmm. a red swimsuit yeah and like things like that and it was it was so much of this kind of really tragic kind of way of like dealing things and how they would glorify celebrities kind of the Olsen twins and like the kind of attention that they would receive for just looking so frail was basically telling people from like if you think of like social learning theory oh if I do this to my body I'm going to get attention people are gonna care about me but not for what I do but how I look and it kind of gives you that distance from kind of your own internal qualities and I think that was also part of why it was so maintained when I was younger because people were worried more about how I was looking 
than what I was doing or feeling or saying Mm. so it kind of gave me this kind of bubble of like oh this is kind of my my thing and this is what people see me for but then I don't have to worry about being gay or um kind of my views or anything like that so then it made it a little bit easier to navigate things and also then control kind of the anxiety at the same time of Mm. kind of oh I I need to be really worried about what I do for this and do for that. Whereas this, like, oh, if I just put my energy into one thing and try to control how I look and how people perceive me, then it's going to make my life so much easier to navigate. Yeah. I literally said that. Um, I can't think uh, we, we were talking about that on a podcast the other day about how, you know, at the moment there's, there's wars going on. There's a cost of living crisis. The government's in absolute shit. Like the yeah. world is going to poo. But like if you've got anorexia or you've got an eating disorder, you don't need to worry about anything else because you don't have the energy to or the capacity to because you're so closed minded. And, you know, that can be an attractive thing because it's like, oh, I don't need to worry about anything else. But actually, is that the person that you want to be that Mm. you don't have the capacity or the care about what else is going on in the world because you're kind of. And I, I don't want this to sound horrible. Like this is a realization I've had to go through myself in that I'm so kind of consumed by my eating disorder and obsessed with what I'm eating or the way that I look that I don't even read the news. And it's like, nah, it's not the person I want to be actually. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I feel like you just kind of lose touch with a lot of things around mm. you and like the spheres around you and obviously like family and friends and even schooling, like it all kind of takes a step back when it comes to the eating disorder and you think so much about that you are your mind is literally just continuously thinking about like food what you're going to eat what you have eaten mm. how you're going to burn it off that kind of thing so it was always it's like so draining and cognitively draining to get to that point that and it, it literally yeah I don't I think it's the thing that kind of having that kind of drop off that I was able to actually really con- focus on being con- still focusing about myself but in like pro-social ways but then allowing myself to then outreach to other areas of my life and improve mm. those at the same time after kind of getting through the eating disorder mm. and kind of I guess moving ahead a little bit um in terms of like the way that the eating disorder was so you said that you had the eating disorder until you're about 21 mm. had you come out by then or was it something that you were still holding back with because of like the eating disorder was still kind of overshadowing all of that no I think when I got to uni I became a lot more comfortable with kind of my sexuality and definitely that was something which is then more commonly known it was not something to be wary of but then that was then fine like having sex and being liberal and living your best life and doing all that but then I still had the kind of being sort of take a lot of precedent in my life and I think obviously go to university you move out from like home structures you're cooking for yourself you're looking after yourself and that was where I definitely took a more negative route it was much like oh now I can just lose loads of weight no one can judge and take care of it or that kind of thing I think that's where it kind of started to get more progressive so I think I always thought I would just stay in the same kind of each year and like really from university it just actually took a lot of a it ramped up so much more I think that's kind of a I fear because obviously there was only had like very few kind of intervention prior to that and it was very much like counseling focus or like mm. talking with people but I never had like kind of a formal it was like kind of like private stuff it was no kind of NHS kind of inpatient stuff it was all very much oh you should like talk to us about this or have a medical and have us check your bloods and things like that so it was very superficial help 
mm-hmm. and then obviously it then got to the point where like my body was just so not okay by the kind of point where I decided to make a change that like I mean that's where I kind of had to almost kind of self-help myself and kind of really step back and be like whoa like my body can't handle this anymore mm-hmm. like it's it's going to be kind of a life or death decision at this point in time so it's like you know what take it's going to be like baby steps and it's taken I mean obviously it's, I'm now 26 it's been five years and it's been like gradual improvements and now obviously I don't really get concerned about that or worried about food or how I look but that's obviously just this point in my t- life and time and you have, I have no idea what can happen in the next five years and it could come back and I, I, I won't have those tools which I would have gained earlier because I didn't really get given those tools until recently I did CBT kind of did work through that and see and kind of challenge the processes behind it all mm, yeah yeah I think I think you've kind of knocked the nail on the head there that it just have to be small sort of you know really take it steady with yourself because big changes just frighten you and make you run back to the eating disorder but it's really sad like you said that you haven't been able to have that support to kind of build that resilience and those coping mechanisms because I think for me, that's the reason that I relapsed was because I didn't have that. Um, but then also it's brilliant that you're aware of that and that you've been able to do the CPT to have things in place for for yourself. And I'm just thinking about kind of if if things could have been different for you, mm. you know, as a man and um, as somebody that's gay, like if you... I don't know how much you know about like the, the way that treatment goes now, but if you kind of were in a treatment facility now, are there things in particular that you think could have helped you because of your gender and because of your sexuality? I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember when I first met with like my CBT therapist and she was like, I mean, obviously she was kind of a, a freshly qualified kind of therapist. So then she was very much like, oh yeah, of course. Like, I'm not surprised that you've had to deal with these things as being a gay man, because there's such a focus on your image and that kind of focus. I think in terms of treatment, I think that what would have been the best is obviously a greater awareness of the proportion of males. And obviously there's still probably a huge amount of kind of underreporting of males with eating disorders in general. Um, but again, I think obviously having that awareness of like gay needs and that there's with a the, with the straight person, they have their sexuality kind of pinned down. And that's something which is celebrated through all kind of ways, whether it's kind of actively or passively, they're kind of, they're fine. And I think people tend to overshare that actually, gay people need to actually learn about how to appropriately move into exploring their sexuality and how that can fit in with their image as well. Because mm. I think obviously when you're kind of having to kind of sneak around, you're more likely to get yourself into kind of awkward kind of sexual encounters or things mm. might that go wrong. And that can obviously impact your mental health even further. And I think I had a very similar experience in that kind of sense that if things kind of go wrong, then your only way to kind of get away from it and kind of recover is just invest it all into the eating disorder and kind of go it all in. Because it, again, it's like a distractor. It's like the perfect distraction that you just, well, if I got my mind focused on that, then I don't have to worry about what's going on around me and what I'm feeling and what's going on. And I think, yeah, I think very much outlining kind of, I think having a focus of, not having the whole therapy focused on on sexuality because I think obviously for a lot of people it's not always the case that I'm gay therefore I am going to have an eating disorder but I think it's part of that that there should be some focus of okay how is actually that impacting your view of yourself which could in turn be kind of a way of you trying to escape that and getting that kind of more comfortable with 
that is definitely which will be a big part of therapy, I think, for especially for gay men with eating disorders. I'm so glad that you just said that. I think that was one thing I was just going to say to you was I think there's a big stigma that if you are a man with an eating disorder, then you must be gay. Um, Or if you are a gay man and you have an eating disorder, the reason that you have an eating disorder is because you're a gay man. And I think whilst it's important that we, you know, we acknowledge that there is a correlation Mm. and that there are stresses and pressures put on gay men which may lead to an eating disorder I think it's so so important that we highlight the may and Mm -hmm. you know I think we definitely come into a place within the community of like there's no one thing that causes an eating disorder um you know it can be a multifactorial there's so many different things but that's still the case with with people that Mm -hmm. you know are are gay are bisexual whatever their sexuality does not just determine oh that means that they're going to have an eating disorder or that's the reason that they have an eating disorder yeah no i completely agree i think i think that's i think uh, which is also quite a uh, i think it's, you know, it's even harder for kind of straight males with eating disorders that they then oh they're mm-hmm. going to perceive me as being gay which obviously they shouldn't worry because being gay is fabulous and it's so much fun however <laughs> i can see why that could be a, a boundary to people because their presentation is going to differ because they're going to think, oh, well, that person's not gay, so I wouldn't expect them. So if anything, mm-hmm. it gives it a further boundary for them to actually get access to treatment. Whereas I think nowadays there's a lot more focus on that. Okay, there's more likelihood if they gave that that could result and potentially be not a cause, obviously, but like it might be part of that. And I think it makes it easier to identify. But then I think, obviously, when it comes to straight men, they think, oh, it's just their metabolism, it's their genetics, or Iris, they just like to focus on the gym a lot and like that's just kind of the pressure they got on them and they just want to look after themselves but then again it's again they're not really focusing on again it's a kind of it's the difference that kind of differences between how people are perceiving it between a gay man and a straight man when really and in the day we're all just they're all just people with with an mental illness it's not it's not specific to anyone or any different group or how it presents it's very much it is that there is a shared interest of that there is a men- there is a mental illness going on at the time here and that's what needs to be intervened and a very serious mental illness with a lot of and I think it's at the most highest mor- morbidity rate about any mental illness is yeah. eating disorders and it's something which is we shouldn't have people dying nowadays from mm-hmm. just poor interventions or poor acknowledgement or noticing of those eating disorders. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think a lot of it comes from the fact that you know historically when we've thought about eating disorders we think about a thin white middle class young female Mm. and so I think that's why it's easier for people to kind of think okay so that's how we see an eating disorder therefore a gay man who is appearing as feminine like it makes you know it makes logical sense that they would have an eating disorder because they're appearing of how we already perceive it but then when you're when you have a man you know that is not appearing in a stereotypical way similarly to when you have a woman that's not appearing in a stereotypical Mm. way it's then difficult for people to kind of come to terms with the fact that they're presenting with an eating disorder um so yeah i can imagine like the the confounding things of you know, being a man, being unsure about your sexuality and, and then having people question sort of your mental health and things like that. Like it's all, it it would make me question so much as well. Like, you know, where do I even belong? What what support is available for me? 
Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that you, as you said, like I'm hitting the nail on the head there where it's, it's just, there is definitely this kind of way that we've been prescribed how eating disorders present themselves. And again, that's partly media and that's partly just how it's been de- documented in medical history mm. for so long. Whereas now we know it's, it literally, it will affect anyone and it can be anyone or anything at any time of their life. You could be six years old, you could be 40 years old. And I think that's where they kind of put these kind of criteria in. Which are, so they're still not updated to the extent where it's actually realistic of how things are actually presents. And I think there's still a lot to know about, obviously, the links and the causes. But the, as you said, there's so many that really it's actually focusing on kind of blanket looking at the how to best identify and then look at interventions or in general, improve the education and awareness mm. in general, especially within schooling systems. Because I think that's where it, they, a lot of them will start for a lot of people is that schooling environment. There's, I mean, there's like going swimming lessons and you have, and you have key lessons and you have, you have to do like the annual year weigh-in, like you have to actually like weigh yourself and stuff. And that's kind of like a lot of anxiety for a lot of people mm-hmm. because you're being literally compared and you know you're being compared against other people so it kind of instills this kind of fear really early on and then it just matures and and then when they go off to university or get their own space that's where actually things can get more complicated because they're not getting the kind of supervision that they they really need yeah yeah I think university you know that was a time for me that really shit hit the fan as well because you go away and you're expected to look after yourself and that's really the one thing that with an eating disorder, you can't really do. Um, yeah, you don't really you... have you have the qualifications and that. But, no. <laughs> but you can get away with it because nobody else is there, and people don't know you as an individual either. So they mm. don't know, you know, especially at the start of university, that like your eating habits are maybe like not healthy habits for you. Um, so I wanted to finish it kind of on a happy note because um, sure. I feel like I've been like, well, that's shit, well, that's shit. Um, <laughs> Because it is pride, so we should pride. have pride right. with what we're talking about. Um, so I wanted to ask you, sort of thinking about the future of eating disorders um, within the LGBT community, like, have you had experiences um, in recovery from your eating disorder or just, like, generally with, like, body image and food that has either been, you know, from within pride or kind of, you know, out, um, maybe somebody that's heterosexual that's supported you that has really helped you kind of with food and body that could be a tip for someone going forwards yeah I mean I think even though I've kind of said things like yeah there is obviously some issues with the gay community I think overall the overall message is love is love and people are so loving and so kind in the community and there's so many personal trainers and nutritionists now who are for gay men and I'm not just gay men gay anyone gay anything Mm -hmm it's it's such like an open space now and it, it's something which people are aware of now and it's it's something where it's not really something to be embarrassed about or scared about or anything like that it's something which is encouraged to share so they can know your limits and where they can really help intervene and actually improve your life and it's it's definitely becoming a much better thing and I have so much hope for the future I'm sure it's going to be such a better space for that in the future and, and things are changing I think it's always changing especially in the gay community it's not it's never the same any given day I think it's always improving and obviously having now been so much more in the gay community I've been able to share these views with so many people 
and hear their stories and you, you think oh I thought it was just me and like no mm. so many people I know have been affected by these things and it's kind of like this shared almost kind of like the bonding over shared trauma which is never the best thing but it's that <laughs> people it's not just you on your own in the situation and I think that's the key thing to think about that there are so many people that you can speak to and outreach to particularly in your own community and I think mm. that's the best thing about this community that there is so many people who will listen to you and will actually care about you and will only want the best mm. so I think that's kind of my main message that at the end of the day it's so important to be part of the community and re-outreach as much as you can because no one's going to turn around and be like go fuck yourself or anything like that it's going to be mean everyone's going to be wanting your best interests, and that's kind of mm. the best thing about the community yeah that's lovely and I think that that it, it just shows the importance of like sharing experiences doesn't it and you know so many times I've heard people say oh what I thought I was the only person or whatever and then they hear someone else talk about that well I'm not alone in that and it does just make you feel very supported and you know held within that community um so yeah that's really brilliant to hear thank you so much ed it's honestly been such a pleasure it's so nice to just sit down and chat to you about something um that we haven't been able to chat about before so yeah it's been really lovely oh no thank you so much for having me hannah it's been it's been a great experience it's been nice to kind of share everything with you and have a lovely little chinwag it's been lovely <laughs> if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.